Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 26, which will be our sermon text for this morning, Genesis 26. Before we read that together, let's pray together. Father, we need to hear your voice this morning. We, we gather together, certainly not to hear my voice, uh, not even to hear from one another, as good as the, and sweet as the fellowship in the church is, but we gather together to hear from you. And so we pray, Father, that you would speak to us now uh, through your Son and by your Spirit, uh, that as we come to your word, we would hear your voice speaking to us in the scriptures. Father, uh, open our hearts and minds to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 26. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also, so he called its name Sitna. 
And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abraham went, when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuza his advisor and Phicol the commander of his army, Isaac said to him, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us. Let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace." That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Shibna. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basabath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. God doesn't bless you simply for you. And don't, don't get me wrong, God blesses his people because he delights in them. He desires to bless his children. In fact, we see God indiscriminately blessing at creation. God blesses the fish and the birds and humanity and even the seventh day of the week. But then comes Genesis 3, what Christians call the fall Human sin enters the picture, rebellion, what R.C. Sproul used to call cosmic treason. And with sin, in the place of blessing comes wrath and curse. Human beings, all human beings, are by nature, by fallen nature, Scripture says, objects of wrath. The story of the Bible is, what's next? Will wrath and curse be the final word? Now, the answer, of course, is no, or the Bible would be a lot shorter book. Human sin and rebellion do not have the final word. God's wrath and curse are not his final word. God is determined to bless. And so in Genesis 12, God chooses Abraham to bless Abraham and his children, his seed, and all nations through him. And we're going to see this morning how God's blessing to Abraham becomes God's blessing to you and me. But we're going to take that a step further because God doesn't bless you simply for you. In fact, there are two other reasons God blesses you for his glory and for the good of those around you. What we'll see from our text this morning is specifically that God blesses us, changes, God's blessing on us changes our relationship to others. God chose Abraham that he might bless the nations through Abraham. 
So our text this morning is about how that blessing to Abraham is given to Isaac, Abraham's child, his son, his seed, and through Isaac to others. The blessing of God comes to and through the seed of Abraham, and we'll see how that happens imperfectly through Isaac, preeminently in Jesus, and then by God's grace through us as well. And here's the way we're going to frame things this morning. God's blessing on us changes our relationship to others. God's blessing on us frees us to love sacrificially. God's blessing on us enables us to endure enmity. And God's blessing on us is a means God uses to bless those around us. So first, God's blessing on us frees us to love sacrificially. Uh, Do you know why it's hard to love sacrificially? One reason is we are afraid, uh, afraid of missing out. If I give you the last piece of cake, I miss out. Now that's a first world problem. (laughs) I get it. For some, it's if, if I give you the last piece of bread, I don't eat today. One is clearly more serious than the other. But actually, the motive is similar, isn't it? It's fear. Why are we afraid? Because this world doesn't always provide what we want or even what we need. Verse 1, chapter 26, says, Now there was a famine in the land. And just so the author is clear, he goes on to say, Besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, the writer wants to connect this story back to what happened to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. But in doing so, that also distinguishes this story from that, right? Moses, when he wrote Genesis, he didn't get confused as to which patriarch faced a famine and sojourned in a foreign kingdom and put his wife in danger. No, he wants us to know, as with Abraham, so with Isaac. There was another famine. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, which is probably the son of the Abimelech Abraham had dealings with back in chapter 20 and 21. So again, as with Abraham, so with Isaac. Why does Isaac go to Gerar? There's a famine in the land. And when there was a famine in the land in Abraham's day, he left the promised land and went to Egypt. It was not one of his shining moments. And so this time God intervenes. He says to Isaac in verse 2, Do not go down to Egypt, rather dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you. Now at this point God repeats all of his promises to Abraham and, and transfers them, as it were, to Isaac. And at the most basic sense, that's really the main point of this chapter with all of its uh, sort of allusions back to Abraham. The main point of this chapter is Isaac is following in his father's footsteps. Isaac is the heir of God's promises to Abraham. And he is now, as Abimelech will say in verse 29, just in case we didn't pick it up ourselves, he is now the blessed of the Lord. You might wonder why take an entire chapter to make this point. And the answer is probably because this is what Jacob and Esau are fighting about. The heart of the book of Genesis is now that sin and curse have come into the world, who will receive God's blessing? The answer is, at first, Abraham and his seed. Okay, fine. Well, which seed? Here we see not Ishmael, whose genealogy preceded the birth of Jacob and Esau in chapter 25, Abraham's first son. But through Isaac would Abraham's line and blessing continue. 
which of course then opens up the question, which of Isaac's sons will receive the blessing, Jacob or Esau? We've already seen a little bit about them in chapter 25. We're going to see more about them in chapter 27. But in order to set up the struggle between Jacob and Esau, we first see Isaac receive the blessing in full. And so here God says in verses 3 and 4 to Isaac, Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. You see maybe the, the Abrahamic blessings there. If you, if you haven't been around for a while, go back and read uh, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, and you'll see here's an echo of the promises God made to Abraham there. The promises of offspring, the promise of, of land, and the promise, promise of blessing to the nations. And so uh, Isaac, uh, despite the famine, takes God at his word. He believes the promises, and he obeys God's command. And so rather than going to Egypt, a place more likely to have food, he settles there in Gerar. And once there, we see that Isaac is more like his father than we might hope. Uh, like Abraham before him, Isaac is afraid. He is afraid of the men of Gerar that if they know Rebekah is his wife, they might kill him in order to take Rebekah. And so Isaac lies, just like his father Abraham before him, and he says, she is my sister. Now again, the people there are more honorable than the patriarch gives them credit for. They lived there, verse 8 says, a long time and nothing happens until one day King Abimelech sees Isaac laughing with his wife. Now this is a play on words. The name Isaac means he laughs. And Sarah laughed in disbelief when she was told that she would become pregnant with Isaac. She laughed with joy when Isaac was born. Ishmael laughed in scorn when Isaac was weaned. And every kind of laughter, you may notice, was a little bit different. And this one is no exception. Here, this means some kind of a flirtatious behavior. Isaac is not treating Rebecca like his sister, but like his wife. And Abimelech sees him and calls him out. And so he says in verse 10, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. You see, unlike Isaac, Abimelech is concerned for his people. And so he uh, then proceeds to warn them not to touch either Isaac or his wife. And the amazing part of this story is really the next few verses, because despite Isaac's lying and, quite frankly, his unbelief, God blesses him. Uh, despite his sin, God blessed Isaac. God kept his promise. And this is a moment of failure in the life of Isaac, as it was with Abraham before him. Why, why did Isaac fail? Well, because he walked in fear rather than faith. God had just promised him blessing, offspring, land. Was God incapable of protecting him in the place God told him to go? Of course not. But Isaac nevertheless walked in fear. And notice what walking in fear led to. Isaac, out of fear, put his wife in danger to save his own skin. Not acceptable, by the way. And not just his wife, but as King Abimelech points out, the people of Gerar as well, who would have brought guilt upon themselves had they actually taken Rebekah. And so Isaac is afraid, and he puts everyone else in danger to protect himself. 
Fear often stops us from honoring God and loving our neighbor. Fear stops us from sharing the gospel with people or speaking up for what's right or sharing what we have or giving up our time to serve others. We're afraid because we we don't think God can care for us. And so we've got to care for ourselves. We retreat into self-protection even at the expense of those around us. Isaac, out of fear, sacrificed his bride to save himself. But Jesus, out of love, sacrificed himself to save his bride. Jesus is the true child of Abraham, to whom and through whom the promises come. The true seed of Abraham believed God's promises even in the face of the cross. He obeyed God not with the possibility of harm before him, but with the certainty of death because he knew that the father would take care of him. He knew the promises to Abraham were irrevocable. He knew that God would be faithful. God would keep his promises. God was going to bless Jesus, the seed of Abraham and all nations in him. And so Jesus went to the cross out of love, sacrificing himself to save his bride, his people, the church. And the father kept his promise and raised Jesus from the dead. Now, God blessed Isaac despite his sin. But God blessed Jesus because he bore our sin on the cross. He obeyed even to the point of death and God rewarded him with life by the Holy Spirit. And here's what that means for us. You know, Isaac endangered others to bless himself. Jesus endangered himself to bless us. And scripture says that whoever believes in Jesus now, the seed of Abraham, becomes a child of Abraham and inherits the blessings of Abraham. The blessing of God comes to and through the seed of Abraham. God raised Jesus and now blesses us who believe in Jesus. But it means even more, right? Blessings come to and through the children of Abraham. So we don't, we don't have to, to live like Isaac in fear. We can walk by faith, trust the promises of God and Jesus, know that as God raised Jesus from the dead, so he will raise us on the last day with Jesus, which means God's blessing on us frees us up to then go love others sacrificially. I don't have to endanger you or take from you in order to bless myself. I have the blessing of God and Jesus a blessing which transcends this life so that even if or when I die, I have the hope of resurrection and the blessing of God for eternity. There is no fear in that. Whatever I might have or not have in this life, I have the hope of every blessing in the resurrection age to come. So God's blessing on us in Christ frees us to, like Jesus, love one another and our neighbor, sacrificially in the moment, in the hope of things to come. Where do you recoil from costly love? Where do you find it hard to give of your time, your talents, and your treasures? Where do you see opportunities to serve others, to give of yourself for another's good? What would it take for you to do just that? What's holding you back? God's blessing on us changes our relationship to others because God's blessing on us frees us up to love sacrificially. Second, God's blessing on us enables us to endure enmity. Uh, God's blessing in this life doesn't go the way we want. In fact, there is a theme in scripture that as God blesses his people, there are two very different responses. One is enmity, 
Uh, Jonathan Sachs, a Jewish rabbi, uh, says what we see in our text is the beginning of anti-Semitism. Now, it should go without saying that anti-Semitism is wrong. It is always wrong to hate, belittle, despise, feel superior to any people group because of their ethnicity. Again, that should go without saying. God created all people. All are descendants of Adam and are fallen in Adam. Jesus came to redeem people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, black and white, Russian and Ukrainian, Israeli and Palestinian. All kinds of people bear the image of God, are guilty in Adam, have been broken by the fall, and need Jesus for forgiveness and restoration. Again, in light of this text and and quoting Hannah Arendt, Rabbi Sachs says, anti-Semitism is in particular comes from uh, the Jewish people having wealth without power, which is interestingly, that's what we see in our text, right? The Lord blessed Isaac and he became very wealthy. Isaac was wealthy, but powerless. He was a stranger in a strange land, an alien, a foreigner, an immigrant, a refugee. He had no power in the land of Gerar and the Philistines envied his wealth. Verse 15 says, uh, it seems out of that envy and out of spite, they stop up the wells Abraham's servants dug in Abraham's day. Now think about this. They are so spiteful and bitter at Isaac's riches that they stop up wells in a desert land. And in verse 16, Abimelech sends Isaac off and he says, go away from us for you are much mightier than we. It's actually similar to what will happen a few hundred years later in Egypt as the Israelites grow uh, in Exodus 1, 8 to 9, uh, we read, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. And they deal with them a little differently at that point. Although the end result is the same, they, they leave. Isaac leaves Gerar, seemingly without argument. Now you have to imagine Isaac has become rich But wealth in that day was not money in the bank. It was, verse 14, flocks and herds and servants. Isaac is being sent out of the apparently fruitful land of Gerar into a place where there are no wells. The expectation is that his wealth will dwindle. Abimelech is giving him a death sentence. His flocks will slowly thirst to death. His servants will likely abandon him for greener pastures. But Isaac leaves and begins to redig his father's wells. And Isaac isn't creative, apparently, so he names them just as his father did. He isn't creative, but he is faithful at this point. He is walking in his father Abraham's footsteps, as all of Abraham's children must do. So Isaac's servants dig a well, but the herdsmen of Gerar claim it as their own. So they move on and they dig another well, and they quarrel over that one too. And finally, they dig a third well. The herdsmen of Gerar do not quarrel over it. So Isaac calls it Rehoboth, which means broad places or room. And Isaac praises God and invokes God's blessing, saying, Now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be beautiful, uh, fruitful in the land. So first, God blessed Isaac despite his sin. This time, God blesses Isaac despite his enemies. Isaac didn't fight with the inhabitants of the land. He didn't amass an army and try to claim the wells for his own. He moved on, this time at least, trusting in the promises of God that God would care for him. Sometimes when the world is against us, when nothing seems to go our way, when things large or small frustrate our plans, our good, our joy, we begin to question God's goodness. 
We wonder if God is faithful. We doubt his promises. But as often as not, walking by faith looks like enduring the world's enmity in the hope of God's blessing, accepting hardship when it comes, knowing that God's promises are sure and will come in his timing, enduring the the suffocating famine of not having a home, a space, a place to call our own, knowing that the Lord will make room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Of course, our certainty of this comes not because of Isaac, but because there is one greater than Isaac. Because as we have already said, in Christ, the son of Abraham, we are children of Abraham. While Isaac experienced God's blessing and the world's enmity, Jesus brought the world blessing by experiencing God's enmity at the cross and then his blessing in the resurrection. The life of faith is is beset by many trials. Paul says, in fact, in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, that that looks different in everyone's life. There are times of prosperity and times of trouble. That is clearly true in Isaac's life, and it's true in our day as well. But the point is this. When the times of trouble come, when enmity comes, when persecution comes, when people try to take advantage of you or criticize you or lie about you, what will enable you to endure? The answer is the hope of God's blessing, knowing that whatever may be now and for a time, The Lord will make room for us, whether in this life or in the life to come, and we shall be fruitful in the land. So where are you experiencing hardship? Where is this world pushing against you, seemingly seeking to knock you down? What enables you to push through, to keep going, to persevere? God's promises are sure in Jesus. Paul says at one point in Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You need to know that after death comes resurrection, that after the cross, the crown, that after trial and trouble come life forevermore, that God cares for his children in this life and he will fulfill all of his promises in the life to come. God's blessing on us changes the way we relate to other people. It frees us to love sacrificially, and it enables us to endure enmity and hardship in the hope of things to come. Third, God's blessing on us is a means God uses to bless others. I said there are one of two responses that that people have when God begins to bless his people. One is enmity, envy, jealousy, hatred, persecution. The other is attraction. The complete opposite, and of course Abimelech has both responses in our text at different times. At this point, uh, God appears to Isaac again. He calls himself the God of Abraham, your father. And God encourages Isaac to fear not, for I am with you and I will bless you. Isaac was living in a place of, of food uncertainty, questionable water supplies, and jealous, angry neighbors. And God says, fear not, I am with you. I will bless you. You don't need to be afraid of circumstances or opposition because of me. Jesus, of course, said the same thing. He told his disciples in Matthew 6, don't worry about food or drink. Your heavenly father knows what you need. Isaac responds to God's promise here with worship. He builds an altar and calls on the name of the Lord. And just as soon as it seems like everything is going well, Abimelech shows back up with his chief advisor and the commander of his army. Isaac is is pretty blunt in verse 27. He's wondering why they came to him since they just sent him away. Like, why why are you coming back? You just sent me away from you. Why are you showing up again? And their answer is this in verses 28 and 29. 
They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you, right? We thought we were sending you out to die, but you keep flourishing. Something's going on here. We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you so that you will do to us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. They recognize God's blessing on Isaac, and so they're seeking peace. Now, Isaac could have been bitter at this point. Uh, One commentator put it, he must have rolled his eyes when they said, we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. Really? (coughs) Well, you know, the Proverbs tell us in Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And Paul says, to seek peace with all men, Romans 12, 18. And so Isaac makes a feast, a sign of a covenant of peace, a sign of a restored relationship. And the next day they rose, exchanged oaths, and depart in peace. And the story that began with famine ends with yet another well, which just like his father Abraham, Isaac names after the oath made with Abimelech. God's blessing on Isaac overflows into blessing on Abimelech. It was perhaps small, to be sure, the favor of God's blessed one, a little bit of that elusive reality, peace in the Middle East. But it doesn't end there. There is one greater than Isaac, and God promised Abraham that through his offspring, not just Abimelech, but all nations would be blessed. And so Jesus goes to the cross to bear the sin of the world and then rises from the dead for our justification. Jesus was counted a sinner in his death, but was fully restored to his father in his resurrection. And through the cross, Paul says, Jesus brings peace. Romans 5.1, Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Later in Romans 5, Paul says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Because of sin, we were children of wrath. But in Christ, we are children of Abraham and children of God. We have peace with God in Jesus. Not, of course, because we have earned it. Not because we have done good. Not because we have passed some minimum standard. And did you notice, even here, in verse 5, that God makes promises to Isaac, and he, he says, because Abraham obeyed my voice. And then in verse 24, God says it again, he will bless Isaac for my servant Abraham's sake. Isaac got in, so to speak, on the albeit imperfect obedience of another. But again, there is one better than Isaac, a greater son of Abraham who's greater than Abraham. And it is for his sake that we receive God's blessing. Paul says in Ephesians 1.3 that every spiritual blessing is ours in Jesus. But we not only have peace with God through the cross, we have peace with one another. Ephesians 2, Christ himself is our peace who has made us both one that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, Paul says, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What Paul is saying is that Jew and Gentile both have peace with God and therefore they have peace with one another in Christ. The church is one new man. There is no Jew or Greek, no ethnic distinction in this body but we are all one in Christ. Jew and Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised. Abraham is the father of us all in Christ, the seed of Abraham. 
And as God blesses us, we are now called to be instruments of his blessing to others, to be peacemakers and good news tellers, to speak and serve in such a way that God's peace is made known. That's not automatic, of course. Uh, We've already seen uh, Isaac struggled to walk by faith. He put Rebekah and the inhabitants of Gerar in danger. But also look at Esau in the last few verses. He did not live for God's blessing, but for the blessings of this age. He sought to erase the boundaries between God's people and the world. He married uh, people of the Canaanites and Hittites. The problem there was not the ethnicity, but their, their worship, their paganism. So Abraham had specifically forbade Isaac to marry people from the Canaanites. Esau ended up becoming a curse to his family. The text ends, he made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. And so God's blessing on us does does mean God uses us to bless others, but it's not automatic. How does God's blessing so shape us that we live differently in the present age and bless our neighbors as we live for God and his blessing and not for the present age? We can only be a blessing in the present age when we stop living for it. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Paul exhorts us to set our mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Paul says in first, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13 to prepare our minds for action and be sober-minded. How? By setting our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, as we set our mind on Christ and the spiritual blessings that are ours in him and the grace that will come on the last day, God will use that to bless others by drawing them to Christ, the son of Abraham, to and through whom God pours out his blessing. So remember, remember that God is with you. He will provide for you in the present, in the midst of the deserts, the famines, the trials, the oppositions of this age. Remember that Christ has gone before you. The resurrection is coming when those things will be brought to an end and all things will be made new. And then go seek to bless others as you have been blessed in Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus and we pray that you would help us to see him more fully and to live in light of the grace that we have in him. And we pray that you, by your grace and by your spirit, would use us to bless others, to draw them to know Jesus as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.